Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Enjoy the message. All right, so we are at chapter 11. I'm only going to do two verses, so I'll only talk for two hours. <laughs> uh, I'm only going to do two verses uh, because I want to set up chapter 11. Chapter 11 is rather complex, and I want to set it up well for you. So I would like for us to read just these two verses out loud with each other. Now, this is John speaking. John is the, the witness who has become a participant. He was a spectator, but he's become a participant. And I was saying to you last week, this is, this is the call of God on your life. First you watch, first you witness, but then you begin to work. And so now John is intimately involved in the unfolding of this revelation. So let's, let's read together. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, come and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations and they will trample over the holy city for 42 months. All right, I'll try to explain what all that means, but I want to set it up first. So what Revelation is, is a series of these, of these different judgments. We call them judgments that take place. And sometimes they take place in very rapid fire. And if, you, if you're paying attention, you begin to say, how can I keep reading on? Uh, I don't know if any of you are like this, but when, it, when a movie or a TV show gets dark, Lisa leaves the room. Or she says, turn it off. Or she says, fast forward through it. Because she, she hates that feeling. And sometimes when you're reading Revelation, you go, wow, I don't know if I can take much more of this. And then what happens is we get an interlude. And these interludes are for the believer. And what it is, is God pulls back the veil. He's, he's showing us all the things that are going to happen on earth or all the things that are happening. He's showing us the source of those things. He's showing all these things, but then he pulls back the veil and he says, but you believer, I want you to see the real reality. I want you to see the throne. And you see, when you see the throne, you see the lamb on the throne. And that's where your focus is to be. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says it this way, that when you need help, you can boldly go to the throne of grace to find help in your time of trouble. The throne is not something a believer has to be afraid of. The throne is the place the believer runs to in order to get help. So what, this, what the Spirit does in this is he shows John all of the terrors that are coming. And then he says, but look at what's going on at the throne. And he says, focus on this. And so here's the purpose of all this, is that the call on your life is though you go through very difficult times, you're called by God to be a faithful witness to the Lamb of God. I went to a funeral yesterday. It was very interesting because it was, it was very, 
It was very much a time of celebrating the life of the person who had died. And all of these witnesses got up and talked of this person's life and talked of the different aspects of her life. And, and there was a constant theme of her witness of her relationship with Jesus to family and friends. This is what, I know that this is sort of working backwards, but what are people gonna say about your life? Are they gonna say that you were a faithful witness? That's what matters. I realize, you know, the legacy you leave behind is not the money you leave. It's not how high a position you had in your company or your school or whatever it was. The legacy is the witness to the lamb in your life. And that's not just by words, but it's also by the way you love, the way you serve, the way you go out of your way for others. And so you're to be a faithful witness according to the book of Revelation, but you can only be a faithful witness if your eyes are on the Lamb. And then secondly, this whole book is about, hey, it's about what Gabe talked about earlier. It's to begin your joyful worship celebrations now. Not to wait till you're in heaven, but to do it now. Because when you do so, you join what's already happening. The whole of heaven is celebrating the lamb. When we celebrate Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, heaven joins us and we join heaven. One, one of the things that, that has to happen in our lives is, is, is not just for the ordinary to take place but rather for the extraordinary to take place. You see, there's some sense in which if you just preach the Bible, you're going to get a response. But when the Spirit comes, you get an extraordinary response. And one of the ways that people define that response is this, heaven gets so close to earth that you could touch it. And earth gets so close to heaven. And you know what? Who holds that back? Not God. You and me. Those of you who come to church to punch a clock, you're never going to experience heaven on earth. Those of you who come here with your tears running down your face, you're getting close. But those of you who begin to say, wait, faith is the victory that overcomes the world, and you begin to say, I'm going to live in my victory now. Because it is a matter of receiving Jesus' victory, not me performing my victory. <laughs> I was thinking about this today. I, I haven't told this story to you all in a while, so, and some of you are new, so I, I like to retell this story. But we were in Uganda, and we were in northern Uganda. We were in the city of Idi Amin, who was one of the worst dictators and most terrible rulers that's ever lived. And we were... We were night after night, preaching to, singing with, doing all kind of stuff with like 50,000 in open air meetings. And the last night, we had this sense of how powerfully the Spirit of the Lord was going to come. Now, the night before, what had happened is we, we had urged everybody to bring their witchcraft items to the stage. And they made a huge pile of amulets, charms, and all kind of things that were dedicated to Satan. 
And our leader with us stood on it with, with his foot, and he broke the power of that witchcraft stuff over us. So when that happened, all the witch doctors in the area got together and cursed us. So that night, the storm came. We were waiting on 50,000 people. We were trying, we were, there was singing going on. There was dancing going on. There was all this stuff going on. But this wicked, wicked storm came. And it came with such darkness and blackness of sky. And then the, these clouds started moving contrary to the wind. Ominous clouds moving down among the people, moving towards us. And then this horrendous rainstorm came. Now, I was, uh, I was treated as a very significant person in Uganda. So they gave me a seat under a tent. So the rain wasn't bothering me at all. So I sat there going, oh, isn't this awful that the rain has come? We might not be able to have our meeting tonight, but I'm sitting next to a crazy woman by the name of Lisa. <laughs> and she hears from the Lord, I'm going to lead hundreds into the kingdom tonight. You get out there and march around the area. So she starts marching around the area and she, she said she was just walking, but it looked like she was dancing. And she's marching the number of times that God, God gave her a specific number of times. And she marched around that area. Then two of my colleagues got up there and they started rebuking the storm because I had preached this message about how sometimes it's a demonic storm and you have to rebuke it like Jesus did. So they're out there. I'm really comfortable under the tent. <laughs> and so... So finally, I'm shamed by my wife, shamed by my friends. Because what happened is they would rebuke it, it would go away, and then it would come back. And so I, I had this sense, sometimes you just get a sense from the Lord. I had a sense to draw a boundary around our area and to rebuke it in such a way that if any cloud tried to cross that boundary, it would immediately dissipate and turn into sunshine. So for the rest of the night, that's what happened. Whenever any cloud came, it just dissipated. Now, it flooded everywhere around us, but we did not get another drop of rain for the rest of the night. Amen. That night, thousands came to Jesus. It was like a Pentecost. And Lisa prayed over these who came to Christ, and she said she saw spotlights coming down from heaven on them. And calling them into ministry and calling them into deeper intimacy with God and saying, these are my chosen ones. You see, you may, <laughs> I may have stretched you outside of your worldview just then. But you see, when heaven invades, then what is true of heaven becomes true on earth. And the veil gets stripped away and you are able not just to be a faithful witness who survives, but you're able to be a faithful witness who thrives even when things are against you. So that even curses cannot stand against you. And that night, thousands, many of them with the, the whole headdress and everything of Islam on, gave their lives fully to Jesus Christ. You see, we can, we can do extraordinary things, but we have to be aligned with the purposes of God so the extraordinary can flow through us. I have no power to stop the rain. I tried yesterday and I couldn't. <laughs> but when it's my assignment, 
then I have authority. See, why is it so important? Well, because you live in a world that runs as if there is no lamb. As a matter of fact, in in John's day, it was Rome. And Rome, everybody thought, was the true king. But what John is saying, it doesn't matter who's on the throne. Jesus is the true king. And and the fact is, in this world, you're going to have cruel, unjust, self-centered leaders. But we as believers don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about that because that is what's going to happen. This is an evil, fallen world. Therefore, it's ruled by evil, fallen people. The interludes that I've been trying to show you are trying to say those are side realities. The real reality is in the presence of God. And the real reality you will live in for all eternity. This This is only a blip in the radar of your life. So what I'm trying to call you into is to experience that heavenly throne room of God so that for you, he pulls back the curtain, even as you live in this world. That's what we saw that night when thousands came to Jesus Christ. He pulled back the curtain and he said, look, this is a demonic storm. You deal with it like a demon and it has to go away. I am a child of God, and the evil one cannot harm me unless you let him. Are you tracking with me? So what we've been looking at is that there are series of intensifying hardships in this world. You can't say to the people of Morocco that it's going to get any worse than what they experienced yesterday. These tribulations are not just for the end last seven years. They're happening now. And so what you and I have to begin to realize is that God is calling you to attitude in the midst of this, an attitude from perspective. So he's calling you to live not as a complaining spirit or even as a critical spirit, but he's calling you to live with gratitude and confidence. Now, gratitude is the realization you could be just as lost as anybody else. There's nothing about you that's particularly appealing. (laughs) I wondered how many of you would get that. I, I assure you, I insult you in love. But you see, if you are a person who has received mercy and you recognize how much mercy you've received, how can you be anything but grateful? Do you understand that you are bombarded in our culture with ingratitude? That it is far more normal to complain than to be thankful. But do you know what lifts your spirit? Not complaining. Gratitude is the language of faith. Guess what? You complain, you get more of what you complain about. If you're grateful, you get more of what you're grateful for. Somewhere we've got to understand the logic of this. But the reason that you are saved is not because of you. It's because of God's grace. And the acceptance you have is not incomplete, but complete in Christ. So you're being called to gratitude. But the other thing is, and and I wish you would... Allow the spirit right now to examine your heart because many of you do not live with confidence. You live in insecurity. 
You're wondering, you know, am I good enough? Uh, do people like me? You know, am I worthy? All these things that have been settled by the cross so that in his resurrection, you can have confidence because you are marked, you're sealed, and you're protected in the midst of the storms. That's what this, these verses have been saying. That's what the interludes teach us. So would you turn to your neighbor? Would you point at them? If you know them well, put your finger on their forehead. If you don't know them well, don't do that. All right, I want you to say this to your, to your neighbor. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for the mercy and grace that has brought us together today. And I have confidence that the one who marked you, who sealed you, will protect you all the way to the end. So I hope you're understanding why I'm saying this, because many people read Revelation and they do not come away with these attitudes. They're like, oh, no, turn or burn. <laughs> and they're afraid. This book was not to make a believer afraid. It was to make a believer grateful. You're not like the rest of the world, it's saying. You have been bought with a price. You've been marked with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed. You are protected. And your response to that should not be fear, but confidence. But you see, what's happened is because it hasn't done that in the church, and we've been misled about the end times, we have often become a church that was not the church. See, in the book of Revelation, it says this. The church is for the marginalized. The church is not the establishment. The church is not the club of the rich and famous. Church is for those who recognize that they're weak, that they're not rich, and that they're not wise. That's the church. The church is a place where people who don't fit, fit. Now, here's how I learned about it. I was a, I was a, a man madly in love with Lisa. I lived in Mississippi. She lived in Kentucky. I would drive all the way to Kentucky on Friday night so that I could spend the last minutes of every weekend I could get up there with her because I was so enamored with her beauty. And I would go up there, and I would go to her church. And her church formed the basis of what I thought church should be. So here was a church that was founded by a slave, the slave had founded a church. They named the church after her. It was called Cecilia Presbyterian Church. And that church had suffered, gone through hard times, had gotten down to eight people, eight faithful people. And then they called one of the most amazing New Testament scholars to be their pastor. Dr. William Lane has written numerous comments, gone on to be with the Lord, but Dr. William Lane came to be their pastor. Now, he was the whitest white man on the face of the earth. <laughs> he had those funny German eyebrows, you know, that come out, looks like somebody from, from a... 
TV show or something. And he wore the worst suits you ever saw in your life. I mean, and, but he was so anointed of God. Amen. And he would preach these sermons that I can still remember, you know, 43 years later. Uh, and, and that place filled up. It had, it, had, it had people who served in, in domestic capacities. It had people who were blue-collar. It had PhDs. It had doctors. It had lawyers. It had, all the people came together because they were drawn by the good news of Jesus Christ, and they were drawn by the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we used to have, we had people who would present new music, like Michael Card, who wrote El Shaddai and who wrote all that, he would, he would sing and he would play his songs. And all these other people would sing and play their songs. And right there, I could just feel how music could take us to another level. I even wrote songs and sang them there. And one time, Dr. Lane said, my song was better than Michael Card's song. So I'm like... <laughs> You understand, but it was there that I started to understand this is what the church is so supposed to be, not a club of sameness, but a place where people who don't fit, fit, and who realize we're united. And something began to happen to me where I began to realize God wants to heal the sick. God wants to stand up against disease. Music began to be the way I began to understand how we could hear and feel God even when we were hurting. All of these things, you see, that were true of the gospel in the first century are to be true of us now because what's outside is not us. Are you hearing me? So that means that what God is doing in the seals and the trumpets and all of these things is he is intensifying his love of justice. He's not intensifying his injustice. He's intensifying against injustice because those, those judgments are coming against in, injustice. Scott McKnight, who wrote a good book on this, says this way, morally, the core issue is justice. And God is the one and only who always does what is right. God will make everything right that he will bring justice. To put it practically, this means racism condemned and made right is justice. Economic exploitation made right is justice. Trafficking human bodies made right is justice. You see, God is against the injustice, and God alone can bring justice. Because what, what happens when we bring justice? We bring punishment. We bring revenge. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse than you hurt me. We, we are not able to be fair because we've been hurt. And we want to hurt people worse than they've hurt us. And so even when we find injustice, we tend to go to injustice to remedy the injustice. And only God, and that's why we have to trust not in governments, but we have to trust in what the Holy Spirit is doing as he leads us as individuals, as families, and as a church. And why do I keep saying, therefore, you've got to keep an attitude of gratefulness? Because you see, if God only brought justice in the way we think of justice, he would have to wipe you out. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was asked, 
Do you think the world would be a better place if we killed all these guards who persecuted you? He said, no, because evil cuts through the heart of every person and nobody wants to cut out their own heart. You begin to realize God alone can remedy what hurts us. And God alone can handle where you've been treated unfairly. <laughs> can I say it this way as well? Most of us, even as Christians, when people are hurting, we hurt them worse. Because, because somehow if somebody's hurting, they don't have enough faith. Or if somebody's going through a difficult time, we tend to scold them instead of walking with them. And so you have, to, you have to hear what Revelation has been saying. And it's saying that we have to be people who can go through hard times together, but who do it with hope and who do it with confidence. So are you tracking with me so far? Yes. So here we come to this, this, these verses. I, wanted to, I know that was a lot of introduction. But we come to these verses, and one of the things you have to understand is the church in John's day was a very small pocket of believers. There were no mega churches. There were only small house churches. That's all there were, and they were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. But in chapter 7, verse 9, John gets a vision of myriad upon myriad, millions upon millions of people praising God. Look at what it says. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You understand, John had not seen this on earth but now he's seeing what will be in heaven. And I, I just want to remind you one more time, your ethnicity matters to God because it can still be seen when you are standing before the throne. Those of you with a Bronx or Brooklyn accent, you will still have it. <laughs> and it will be beautiful to God. Whatever it is that has been true of you here and authentic about you here, this is, just, this is just the beginning of a continuation where God celebrates our diversity. You don't lose it. You don't go into the primordial ooze again or, the, or, or this kind of nothingness ether. Rather, you are totally you but the best version of you that you've never even dreamed of yet. And you get to be one who stands with the palm branches and who actually knows you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is who you are. This is what you're a part of. I hear people all the time, I hate the church or I hate organized religion. Do you like disorganized religion? Is that what you like? What is it you're saying? You see, that's the church. We may, we're not there yet, but the vision is already a reality that that's who we will be. And so as hard as it might be to be patient with one another, that's what we're called to in this life. 
to wait for each other, to love each other, to believe in each other. And even when, even when it's not exactly the way you want it, it could be that that friction, you with another person, another ethnicity, another tribe, whatever it is, that friction might be what God is using to show you your pride, your impatience, your need for control, whatever it might be. So instead of saying, Lord, change those people, which he probably isn't going to, you go, Lord, what are you trying to show me about my heart? Are you hearing me? So what we see then is that, and I, I need to do this part a little quicker. You can read it in the notes if you want to. But what we see is that actually these, these three sevenfold judgments are actually the time of evangelism. Now, you and I, if you look at things, people don't come to Christ necessarily when everything's going great for them. When all their schemes are working, they don't think they need a savior. It's when your life kind of falls apart and you start to see what it is when God withholds his hand from you that you start to realize how much you need his hand in your life. So the destabilization of the world that these seals and these trumpets and these, these bowls signal is actually God saying, this is the period of evangelism. Now, here is what I'd like you to think about with me. If you're a faithful witness and you're going through a tough time, but you're not looking around you to see who do I need to speak to during this time. During COVID was some of the best times that I had of talking to people about their spiritual lives. But if all I did was talk about how bad COVID was, I might unite with them, but I was not helping them. And so what you've had to realize is that when you're in a tough time, people around you are also in a tough time, and God is using that destabilization to show that person what it is like to have a life that is not dependent on God. Because you see, everybody in the world lives under what's called common grace. The rain falls on the good and the bad. And so when the rain stops falling, it's usually God saying, I, I want your attention now. So these judgments, Scott McKnight says, they're not really judgments until the end. They're actually disciplines or corrective measures. So instead of thinking of everything as, oh, I'm cursed, Instead, look and say, what corrective measure is God taking in order to evangelize my family, my friends, my community? Can you say that with me? Can you repeat it with me? What effective corrective measure is God using to get the attention of my family, my friends, and my community? See, if you look, you will look not just on the surface and say, oh, this is tragic. You'll look and say, what is God up to? What is God doing and how do I join him in what he's doing? I mean, some of the things that are happening in people's lives, we miss the opportunity to just speak love into their hearts. Let me, 
I'm going to have to finish quickly here, but I, I need to tell you this one story. So a friend of mine was a church planner in uh, Pakistan, and it's against the law to be a church planner in Pakistan. The imam suffered a terrible death of his child. So my friend went and sat with him during the period of mourning. It takes days of mourning. and went and sat with this imam during, during the mourning for the child. And when it was over, he went up to the imam, knowing this could get him arrested, could get him killed. He went up to him and said, I just want to speak the name of Jesus and pray for you. So he prays and he speaks the name of Jesus. He goes back the next day to sit in the morning with the imam. And the imam pulls him aside. He goes, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm in trouble now. And the imam looked at him and said, that was the first good night's sleep I've had in my life. You don't ever know what tragedy might mean in terms of getting this effective way of getting someone to hear that they cannot live apart from Christ. Be a faithful witness. So in this passage that we read, there's this interesting thing where John is giving a measuring rod like a staff to measure the temple. This isn't the first time the temple was measured. The temple is measured by Ezekiel, but I'm pretty certain that the temple that Ezekiel is measuring is a future temple. Some would call it the millennial temple. And the one that John is measuring is now. It's a contemporary. It already exists. And one of the reasons or clues that you know that it's a temple now is he talks about do not examine the courts outside. See, the courts outside of the temple, if you know anything about the temple, they were the Gentile courts. As a matter of fact, this outer court was as close to the presence of God as a Gentile could get. They actually found a pillar about 100 years ago with a balustrade saying, if Gentiles pass this point, their death is on their own heads. So it was absolutely excluded that anyone that was Gentile could even enter into the temple and be anywhere near the holy place. So what is John measuring? He's measuring a temple without an outside court. Why? Because the Gentiles are inside now. Thank God for that. That's the one that that John is measuring. And, and there are people, and I, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying I've fallen down on this side of the argument. There are people who say that this temple is the temple that will be built at the end of time. It's the temple that they're trying to build right now. There's groups of people in Israel who are trying to, even now to figure out how they can get rid of the Dome of the Rock and how they can build the temple back on its spot. But I don't really think that's the temple that John's being called to build. To measure. Look at what it says about us in 1 Corinthians 6 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And then 1 Peter 2 4, listen what it says about us currently. We're not just a church, friends. It says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You understand right now, you're not just part of Risen King Church if you're a believer. 
You have been connected to the cornerstone, the living stone of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are a living stone of this new temple. That's your position. That's your identity. The temple is not made by hands anymore. It's a temple made by the Holy Spirit, fitted with the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything going on in your life, the stonemason is cutting the lines perfectly so that you fit. That's what John is measuring. Now, what does he say about this? He says, outside the temple, it's given over to the nations. So it's basically saying that anywhere outside of this place, it's dangerous. Trampling over the holy city for 42 months. Here's John talking about the nations. Listen to what he says in 1 John 5, 19. He says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you, do you hear that? If you're of God, it's, John is saying the rest of the world lies in the power of the evil one. Why are we so shocked when it looks like that? Because this word of God says that behind everything going on that is not the temple of God, everything that's going on that's not the people of God, the evil one is in charge. So this temple is the church, the real church, not, not, not church by name, but church in the heart. It's set in the midst of the world, and what John is saying is the world will besiege the church till Jesus comes back for the church. Listen to what Jesus himself said. I will build my church, and it's going to be great for you all the days of your life. No, he says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. But that means the gates of Hades is trying to overpower it. Here's another picture from Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2. Listen to what it says. God says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Who's this king? Jesus. But what does it say about the rest of the world? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed. Guess who his anointed is? You, his, his people. Are you hearing me? Because you're really quiet. So, where do we see an example of this? Will you stay with me for a little bit? Because I think this is important. Where do we see an example of this? Well, Peter and John were immediately arrested for preaching the gospel and for healing the sick. And you know what they did? They tried to intimidate them. They tried to threaten them. They tried to manipulate them. And finally, they gave up and they let them go. But do you know when Peter was praying, do you know what he prayed? He prayed Psalm 2. Look at what he prayed. He said, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants to speak your word with what? All confidence. While you extend your hand to do what? To heal. Signs, wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. You see, the whole world is raging, but you have the witness to speak boldly the name of Jesus, to see healings take place, to see signs and wonders even in the heavens where rains don't fall when God wants to bring people to Christ. And when they prayed, it would be nice, great prayer, but God affirmed that prayer. He said, when they prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Stay with me, okay? It's still good. So what's the importance of measuring the temple? Why does God say measure the temple? Any of you own your own home? Didn't they have to measure the home so that you would know what you owned? 
You see, you can't go to closing without the survey that tells you what you're buying. You understand? Your home must be measured and recorded. Only what is measured is secure. You can't go get your neighbor's property uh, legally because it's not measured. But your property, you can defend because it's recorded, it's measured. You understand? Your life, your heart, your future has been measured, recorded, and secured. That's why God, that's why God said, measure it. Because they are mine. That is so important. He said, leave off all the attacks outside the walls. Forget the power of the nations. See that the temple is my possession and see that I secure it. So secure now, go and measure it. It's mine. So this is why John Newton wrote this poem. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God, he whose word cannot be broken, form thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With, oops, go back. Where did it go? There it is. With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayst smile at all thy foes. Here's what I want you to do. Just take your hand for a minute, draw a square. Draw a square. Okay? So he's marked that out. That's where you're surrounded. Now, don't let other things in there. Don't let the lies of the enemy in there. Do not let your insecurity stay there. But with inside those walls, you've been measured. Not only are you marked and sealed, but you've been measured and recorded. And that which is measured is secure. Amen? Amen.